Good morning, everybody. I want to welcome all of you here today, whether you're in person or you're watching online. I hope you're doing well this morning. So, this week, I've been wrestling with a question. I've given it a lot of thought, and I'd love to know what you think. Here's my question. Is it okay to be competitive? If you have a strong desire to win, is that a good thing or is it a bad thing? We could put it this way. Is it okay to strive for greatness? I think we could have a a good discussion around this topic. And for some of us, it's kind of a no-brainer. We'd say, well, sure, absolutely. Get out there, work hard, and try to be the absolute best you can be at whatever it is that you do. Some of us, though, might hesitate before we answer this question, especially if we're thinking about it in spiritual terms. So let's get spiritual for a second. How would Jesus answer this question? You know, based on several things Jesus said, we might think that his opinion is it's unspiritual or unhealthy to strive for greatness. Here's one example. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 23, verse 12, Jesus said, For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So what does Jesus mean by that? Is it possible to humble yourself and strive for greatness at the same time? Or is Jesus saying we should take our ambition and dial it back a couple of notches? Well, I have my own opinions about this, but that's, it's not about what I think. We're here this morning because we're looking to God and we're seeking His truth. And spoiler alert, I'll just tell you, this week as I wrestled with this question and as I read Scripture and I looked at what Jesus taught, I became convinced that it's not only okay, it is a good thing to strive for greatness. And I believe there's something inside of us that resonates with that. Most of us like winning, don't we? We don't like losing. I thought it was funny. Uh, I was scheduled to preach on this topic several weeks ago. And at that time, I had no idea that this sermon would come seven days after the Bengals came very close to winning the Super Bowl. Very, very close. But not close enough. And I'll be honest, I was a little bummed at the end of that game. Overall, had a great time hanging out with friends and family. And overall, the Bengals had a phenomenal season. But I just didn't like seeing them lose the Super Bowl. Something you should know about me. I'm a little competitive. Actually, I'm very competitive. Uh, Back when I was in school, my friends and I could turn almost anything into a competition. And the truth is, I'm still a little like that today. For example, I love listening to music. And listening to music is not an activity that you normally associate with winning and losing. But sometimes, I like to kick it up a notch. And that's why I invented the song game. Now, I'm going to do you a favor this morning. I'm going to teach you how to play the song game. You'll thank me for this later. Now, the last time I played the song game was just after Christmas when I was on a road trip with my brother, Greg, my son, Luke, and my nephew, Alex. So there were four of us in the car. And this is how the song game works. 
First, you need to have access to a bunch of music, maybe Spotify or something like that. Next, uh, you need a few friends and a fairly long road trip. And then you start by choosing one person. In our case, we started with my brother Greg. And then every other person chooses a song that they think Greg might like. Might be something you know he's loved in the past or, or a song that's new to him. The point is, it's not about you. You're trying to think of something that he would like. It doesn't matter if you like it or not. So uh, in my case, you know, I, I would remember that. My brother is a big fan of old school U2. So I might play something like Where the Streets Have No Name. So I pull out my phone, I play that song, and then Luke plays the song that he chooses, Alex plays the song that he chooses, and then Greg decides which one he likes the best. And if he likes yours best, you get five points. Second place gets three points. Third place only one point. And that's the end of round one. With round two, you choose a second person. And in our case, that happened to be me. So, Greg chooses a song, Alex chooses a song, Luke chooses one, they all play those songs for me, and then I pick which one I like best, and I give out the points. So, at the end of, every, at the end of all the rounds, everybody gets a turn, the person with the most points wins. So, you, you see what I mean? Instead of just sitting back, listening to music, it's a competition. You have winners and losers. You have the chance to prove that you are the best song picker on that particular day in that particular vehicle. And even though I got beat by my son Luke, it was still a lot of fun. And I highly recommend this game. But back to the original question. Do you think my competitive nature is healthy or is it unhealthy? Well, let's hear what Jesus has to say. If you have a Bible with you, open up to Matthew chapter 20. And we'll start with verse 20. Uh, in this passage, Jesus has a discussion with his disciples, and he helps us understand what greatness looks like in the kingdom of God. So let's read Matthew 20, verse 20. And this first verse sort of sets the stage. It says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. Now, I want to make sure we all get the picture here. This mom comes to Jesus with a request, and her two sons come along with her. Now, these two guys happen to be James and John, two of the 12 disciples of Jesus. And by this point, James and John have been following Jesus for a while. So what's their mom doing here? Well, let's keep reading. The mom kneels before Jesus, she asks him for a favor, and he says, what is it you want? And she says, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in the kingdom. So mom has an agenda here. She has big dreams for her boys. And I find this scenario kind of funny. Uh, when I played basketball in high school, I spent a lot of time on the bench and rightfully so. But my dad thought that I should get more playing time. So he took it on himself to pull the coach aside. And he told the coach that I should get off the bench and onto the court. And I was embarrassed that my dad talked to the coach. But here, James and John don't seem to be embarrassed by their mom. 
In, in verse 20, their mother comes to Jesus with her sons. This seems to be a team effort. And mom's just the spokesperson. They are all striving for greatness here. And what do you think they were hoping to get from Jesus? Well, at this point, the 12 disciples did not understand the true nature of God's kingdom. They're probably like many of the other Jews. Many of the Jews expected a Messiah who would be a powerful king, a king who sets up an earthly kingdom. So they're thinking, if Jesus is the Messiah, he's going to march into Jerusalem, overthrow the Roman government, and start ruling over the people who used to push the Jews around. And if that's what James and John are thinking, this request is an attempt to seize the highest positions in this coming kingdom. They want more authority, more power, and more prestige than the other disciples. In other words, they want to win. So how will Jesus respond to this request? Well, in verse 22, Jesus says, You don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. And Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. James and John just don't get it. They're thinking of this kingdom in terms of glory and power. And it is true that God's kingdom carries ultimate glory and ultimate power. But before you get to that point, there is a long, tough road. When Jesus talks about the cup here, he's talking about suffering. He's going to be rejected and mocked and beaten and crucified. And he will go through those things willingly because he has a mission. He came on a rescue mission to save us from our sins and restore our relationship with our Heavenly Father so that we can be citizens in His kingdom and worship Him in His presence for all of eternity. James and John are clueless about these things. But Jesus knows what's coming. And He knows that His disciples will also suffer. We see that later in the New Testament. James is the first apostle to die because of his faith in Jesus. And then John is arrested and exiled, sent to the island of Patmos. So Jesus doesn't promise these brothers a high position. He promises persecution. James and John and their mom didn't get what they were asking for, but they do stir up trouble with the other disciples. Look at verse 24. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Now, why were the other disciples upset? Did they think this request was inappropriate? No, they, they weren't upset about the request itself. They were just angry because James and John beat them to the punch. They all wanted the top positions in the kingdom. So finally, it was time for Jesus to set them all straight. Verse 25, Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. 
Now, right here, Jesus is talking about what often happens when people get into positions of power. That power can have a corrupting effect. And rulers who love power end up hurting people instead of helping people. We've seen this over and over throughout history. But Jesus says, no, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Now, Jesus is starting to explain what true greatness looks like. But let's back up a second. Before we get to the explanation, let's look at that phrase before the explanation. Jesus says, whoever wants to become great among you. Do you see what this means? Unless you desire greatness, the rest of this teaching doesn't even apply to you. Jesus is specifically talking to people who want to be great. So here's the takeaway. The problem is not our desire for greatness. It's our definition of greatness. The desire is okay. It's even good. But that desire can turn bad very quickly if it's not surrendered to God's will and God's design. So how does Jesus define greatness? Well, let's go back and see what he says. Verse 26. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So according to Jesus, you will never become truly great until you become a servant. And not just a servant, but a slave. Wow, that is a strong word, isn't it? I think we can all agree, slavery is bad. So why would Jesus encourage us to be slaves? Well, when Jesus talks about servants and slaves here, he's talking about someone who willingly gives up their own rights, their own privileges for the sake of others, and ultimately for God's sake. And that's exactly what Jesus did. By all rights, Jesus deserved to be worshipped and praised throughout his time on earth. But he gave up those rights. He gave up his life for the sake of others and for the sake of God's glory. He became the ultimate servant, which means... Jesus reached the ultimate level of greatness. He stands alone. So now, how do we apply this in our lives? What does this servant-style greatness look like in the real world? Does it mean we have to give up all our hopes and dreams? I don't believe it does. But I do believe you have to surrender those hopes and dreams to God. And then he'll do something far better than you could ever imagine. So let's look at some practical steps that could help us grow toward this servant-style greatness. I've got two steps to take. First, check your attitude. As you go through a normal day, doing the things you have to do and interacting with the people that God puts in your path, what's your attitude? What's your frame of mind? Do you carry this servant mindset into every situation? Well, we all struggle with that. But there is a certain question that can help us follow the example of Jesus. And the question is just four simple words. Sometimes you need to say these words out loud. Sometimes you can just think through them in your mind. And 
often it's good to speak these words as a prayer. So here's the question, four key words. How can I help? Pretty simple question. But these four words can change how you do everything you do. For example, if you're married, this week you can look for opportunities to ask your spouse this question. Maybe uh, it's before or after dinner when it's time to cook or set the table or wash the dishes. It's a good question to ask. Or maybe you ask it when you see that your spouse is feeling overwhelmed. How can I help? There are multiple opportunities every single day to speak these words. And then it also works if you're a parent. Now, in, in many cases, you might not want to speak these words out loud to your child because they may have some ideas that are not helpful. Like, sure, Mom, you can help by doing my homework and letting me eat candy bars for breakfast. That's not a great idea, but as a parent, you can still ask yourself this question. How can I help my son or daughter become who God wants them to be? Sometimes that means correction or discipline. It often means showing love and affirmation. But now, kids, you can also ask your parents this question. Try that this week. Go to your mom or dad out of the blue and say, how can I help? Now, they might pass out when you ask that question, but once they wake up, they'll have some good suggestions for you. You can also take this question to work. If you're a boss, how can you be most helpful to your employees? If you're a student or an employee, look for ways to be helpful. This question also applies here at church. If you take this attitude to church, you'll say, I'm not interested in being a consumer. I'm here to serve. So that's one way to grow towards servant-style greatness. Check your attitude. The other step is probably even more important. Check your motivation. Why do you do what you do? What drives you? Sort of reminds me of my desire to win and be competitive. What's my motivation there? Why do I want to win? Well, a lot of times, if I'm being honest, it just feels good to win. It makes me feel better about myself. It makes me feel successful. Winning brings me respect. It makes me feel like I matter. But do you hear the language here? I, me, I, me. It's so easy to fall into a self-centered motivation. But that's not the heart of a servant. A Christ-like servant will ask two questions. Number one, how can I bless others instead of myself? And number two, how can I bring glory to God instead of to myself? It really comes down to the two greatest commandments. Jesus said the two greatest commandments are to love God and love others with everything you've got. Live for others. Don't live for it yourself. But hold on, let's take this back into the real world. How do we put these principles into practice when you're at your job or when you're at school or when you're playing golf and you really want to win? Should you stop trying to be the best? Well, let me be clear on this. There is absolutely no need to stop striving for excellence. With the right attitude, 
and the right motivation, trying to be the best is a good thing. Think about it. Let's say you need brain surgery. Do you want a brain surgeon who is not interested in being the best? Do you want a surgeon who says, you know what, I got my degree, I got a job, and I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm on cruise control at this point. I don't think I need to learn anything else. I feel no need to improve. I feel like good enough is good enough. No, that's not who you want cutting into your head. You want someone who is trying to be the best brain surgeon he or she can possibly be. You want someone who has this attitude, how can I best help and serve others? In the best case scenario, your brain surgeon will be someone who understands that their gifts and talents come from God and they want to use those talents for his glory. So no, don't stop striving for greatness. Just define greatness the way Jesus did, with the attitude and motivation of a servant. And the fun part is, when you develop this attitude, you will find fulfillment and blessing that you can't get any other way. There's a great quote from Jesus in Acts 20.35. Jesus said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And many of us have learned by experience that this statement is very true. But this truth also translates into other areas. For example, it's more blessed to serve than to be served. This is kind of a, a silly example, but I was thinking again about the song game. Do you know why that game is so much fun? The best part of that game is that you're thinking of a song that the other person would enjoy. Now, you could play it a different way. You, you could say, well, I'm going to choose three songs that I like, and you're going to have to listen to them, and then you can decide if you like them or not. You could do it that way. The game would work, but it would be inferior because you're taking out that idea of serving and blessing the other person. And from what I've seen, that's what's great about the song game. It's, it's about focusing on someone else instead of yourself. So these truths, they, they may seem counterintuitive, but they're still true. This is how God has designed the world, is more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to serve than to be served. It's also more blessed to build God's kingdom instead of building your own kingdom. We often want to build a kingdom for ourselves. We want to rule over our own little mini-kingdom to do what we feel like doing. But that's not why we were created. We were created for God. We exist to bring Him glory. And whenever our lives are aligned with that purpose, we will be blessed. So I want to encourage you and invite you today to take on the attitude of a servant and throw yourself into the work of God's kingdom. In case you haven't been around Plum Creek very much this year, we've set aside 2022 as the year of the kingdom. And we're praying that God's kingdom will come here on earth. And there's a definition that we've been using that we get from Scripture. The kingdom of God is any place where God's rule and his reign have truly begun. So how can God's kingdom come here on earth? Well, we can start by looking at ourselves. Is God ruling and reigning in your life? 
Have you made Jesus your king? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to transform you so that you become more and more like Jesus over time? If so, then God's kingdom shows up in you. And then from there, God uses us to help his kingdom grow all over this fallen and broken world. God wants to partner with us to do the work of his kingdom. He's given his church a mission. And here at Plum Creek, we describe it this way. Our mission is leading people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Every ministry we do, everything that happens around Plum Creek, it's, it's around this purpose and this mission. And in this year of the kingdom, we're learning that there is so much more that God can do through us if we're open to that. We're taking on new challenges. We're, we're looking for new ways to serve and bless others and bring glory to God. It was fun to do the beans and rice challenge last month. And this morning, we're taking on a new challenge. Today is Say Yes Sunday. And this is an opportunity for you to find a ministry where you can jump in and serve God and serve others. You know, like I said, church is one of those areas where you can look around and say, how can I help? And we want to make it easy for you to find a place where you can help. And the truth is, we need you. God wants to help us be more effective at accomplishing the mission that he's given us. But for that to happen, we need all hands on deck. And as we pursue our mission, a lot of what we do needs to happen outside of this building. We need to take uh, the gospel and we need to share God's love out in our community and help the gospel you know, spread all over the world. But at the same time, we also need to be ready to share the gospel right here with people who come to Plum Creek or, or people who watch online. A few weeks ago, we were talking in staff meeting, and we were looking ahead to Easter. And Easter is one of those times when people are more open to coming to church, and we want to make the most of that opportunity. But as you know, we've come through COVID, and during this time, uh, we still have ministries at Plum Creek that aren't back to full strength. We still have volunteer holes that haven't been filled yet. So starting today, and for the next few weeks, we have a new kingdom challenge. Our goal is that everyone at Plum Creek will be serving in some ministry. Our goal is that all of our ministries will be running on all cylinders by the time we get to Easter. And you know what? We are not going to say good enough is good enough. For example, with our greeters in the First Impressions ministry. We want them to be the best greeters they can possibly be. And why is that? Because this is an important way for us to serve people well, lead people to Jesus, and bring glory to God. When I talk to people who are new to Plum Creek, I often ask them, why did you come back after your first visit? And you know what I hear the most? I'll give you the two most popular answers. First, somebody will say, you know, when, when we came the first time, people were really friendly. They made us feel welcome. So greeters, your job is important. The other thing I often hear is uh, people say they love our kids' ministry. 
So teachers, helpers, check-in volunteers, your job is important. And it really is more blessed to serve than to be served. We wanted you to hear from just a few people who serve here at Plum Creek, and several volunteers agreed to share why they do what they do. So let's watch this video. Hi, I'm Sam Reinhardt, and I serve in student ministry. Serving in student ministry gives me an opportunity to pour Jesus into our kids and give them a strong foundation of a Christian faith. And it also gives, um, it's the reason why I really love pouring into these kids and seeing them grow spiritually and seeing them learn more um, about the character of God. Um, we have tons of opportunities in student ministry, and we would absolutely love for you to join us and help uh, continue to pour a foundation of Jesus into our kids here at Plum Creek. Hi, my name is Belinda Bowen. Um, my duty is to serve on the tech team, so most of the people don't see me downstairs a whole lot. I'm always upstairs in the crow's nest, so kind of behind the screens, making sure the slides work and the um, videos are on time, things like that. I love serving on the tech team because it allows me to be more involved with music. Most people know my boys, Gabe and Luke, because they're on stage with a guitar. I am not that musically inclined, so this is a way for me to use my other talents in my everyday life as part of the worship team and get to listen to the music and praise the, praise the Lord through His voice, through the songs, through the lyrics, and just get to know um, the Lord better and understand what it is that he needs us to do, where he needs to, where he wants to lead us to go. Hi, I'm Lauren Lucas, and this is... I'm Jeff Lucas. Um, we have two really sweet boys, Grady and Grant Lucas. Um, we both help serve as coordinators in Kidstown um, once a month, just a couple hours. Um, I also help serve on the safety team as one of the coordinators. Um, we just really love helping in Kidstown. Um, I love seeing all the kids just be so excited and their happy faces every time they come in. Um, I just like to also just be a really positive, um, I don't know, just inspiration to the kids, just showing them like joy and love um, and just helping to be a positive influence. I think I like uh, helping people, especially when they're new and they're coming in, they might seem kind of nervous, so kind of just help them out. Um, and then just. Uh, you know, obviously keeping our church safe during service and, uh, and helping train the guys that are on the safety committee with us. Yeah, and I think it's um, really helpful just to see for the kids and everybody visiting to see a familiar face. Um, we need lots of help. We are growing, so if we can do it, so can you. <laughs> Come help us. <laughs> So where do we go from here? Well, from here, I think we pursue greatness, but not the world's definition of greatness. We want to be the best servants we can possibly be. We want to bless others and bring glory to God. And where do you fit in this picture? Well, some of you may be <laughs> serving a lot right now, and you're, you're maxed out, and we're not asking you to do anything more. Some of you might be serving here and there, but you could actually step it up and do more for God's kingdom. And then some of you may not be serving at all. And if that's the case, I encourage you to say yes.
There's a handout in your bulletin this morning. And on this handout, you'll see seven categories of ministry. And in each of these categories, there are specific roles and volunteer opportunities. And I encourage you to look over this list and ask, how can I help? And when God leads you to a certain area, I I encourage you to say yes. Out in the gathering area today, you'll find seven banners that match these seven categories of ministry on the handout. And after service, you can go out to the tables beside those banners, and there will be someone there who can answer any questions that you have or get you signed up to serve. Uh, If you're watching online or you need to sign up later, uh, you could also go to plumcreek.org slash serve, or you could scan this QR code. Uh, We'll post this handout on our Facebook page in case you don't have the paper version. But whoever you are, let's pray through these questions. God, how can I help? How can I bless others instead of myself? How can I build your kingdom instead of my kingdom? So let's strive for that servant-style greatness. And wherever God leads you, say yes. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and thank you for blessing us in so many ways. And Lord, because we're blessed, we want to be a blessing to others. And we can do that throughout our everyday lives, wherever we are. But we also want to do that here as a part of your church. So help us, Lord, to to just come together and serve. Come together and, and work for your kingdom. And I pray that you would use us. I pray that you would empower us by your spirit to be the church that you want us to be. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go serve him. God bless you. Thanks for being here today.